So today, on this rainy day, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Um, primarily, we'll be um, studying verses 13 through 15, but just, just so we get some context regarding these verses, we're actually going to start the reading from uh, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So just to give us an idea of where we are, uh, so a little small, but you can see the, the little red dot there is where Philippi is, and so it's just on the northern portion of the Aegean Sea. And Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And it, Philippi was important because it was actually the gateway to Europe, and it was along what was something called the Ignatian Way, which was a major Roman road. Um, it, it's, uh, you can see the red line there, it's, it's probably almost uh, 600 miles long, stretching from modern-day Istanbul all the way to the, to the western coast of, of what is now Greece, and what was then Greece. And uh, Luke identifies uh, Philippi as a Roman colony for a specific reason. It's because it, it served as a Roman outpost along the road, uh, basically to protect um, the road and those traveling on the road from barbarian hordes that would raid trading parties that would um, threaten to invade the area. And the people who lived there were, act were veteran Roman soldiers and traders and travelers and sellers and business people from pretty much all over the known world would travel to Philippi to buy and sell and send their goods as far west as Spain, which was the western edge of the Roman Empire, and east into the Holy Land. So those who lived in Philippi spoke the language of Rome and maintained Roman customs and traditions and clothing. And as one scholar had, had actually put it, that Philippi was basically a mini Rome that was several hundred miles away from big Rome. And because they hung on to their Roman identity, they, the people in that colony rejected any type of outside influence, whether it was cultural, political, or religious. They were strictly Roman in, in religious practice, in political practice, and in cultural practice. And so, um, so in verses 8 through 10, it says, They passed by Mycenae, 
went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Um, some of you may recognize the, the Macedonian call there. And if you may have a translation of the Bible, that actually calls it the Macedonian call. And they're urged to come over to Macedonia because they need help. Um, and what's interesting to note is that, you see I underline they and we. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. And um, in verse 8, he's talking in the third person, they traveled to Troas. But somewhere in Troas, Luke actually joins this group of, of men. So it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and then by verse 10, it's also Luke. So he says we. So somewhere along the way, um, he joins the team at that post, uh, coastal port town where they are. And these events, they actually take place during Paul's second missionary journey. I know this is a little small, it's a little noisy there, but you can see in kind of the small map there in red um, what Paul's missionary journey looked like. And Thyatira is just under where it says Asia, and then Philippi is just under where it says Macedonia near the top. And Paul, Paul was working his way west across what is now northern, modern-day northern Turkey, and the year is 50 AD, and his intent was to push through central Turkey, but the spirit of Jesus prevented them from going there. We don't know what kind of sign they were given um, that stopped them from going there, but they heeded that, that message from the Holy Spirit, and so they avoided that area. And, and they eventually go to the port city of Troas, cross the northern Aegean Sea um, to um, Neapolis there, which is about eight to 10 miles away from Philippi. And after a few days of, of looking around Philippi, they set out to look for a place to worship on the Sabbath. And it's here where our study text begins. So starting in verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So it's a Sabbath day, it's a day of rest. And the Jews had a custom of reading scripture in public assemblies and in the town squares. And Paul and his team would have normally looked for a synagogue when they arrived in a new city, but the, the problem is, is that they couldn't find one after having been in Philippi for several days. So the next best place to find Jews worshiping would be um, along a, a river or a body of water. And this would be considered a place of prayer by the Jews um, because it was under an open sky and near, near water. And it would have been a requirement that they be near water, like a, like a river, so that they could participate in ceremonial washing and cleansing. And the other thing that we see here is that they went outside the city gate. And it's, it's likely that the gods who, who the city folks in Philippi worshipped, um, con they considered other gods other than their own foreign. So they most likely wouldn't have allowed any, that type of worship to go on within the city walls. And in fact, that Philippi is during that time is uh, just like today um, basically they had very very low moral principles just like any other time in history there was corruption there was crime there was injustice and there was rampant immorality and during that time as we know people created gods of their own design as an excuse for giving into their own passions um, the temples there uh, worship gods of fertility and the temples were filled with priests and priestesses who often functioned as holy prostitutes. And so in a city like Philippi, uh, for a follower of Judaism, uh, for a, a believer in the one true God, it was hard to maintain any type of religious integrity. And the God of the Bible, as, as we know, then and now expects 
all of his followers to live a holy and pure lives that are unstained by the world. So it's no wonder that Paul and his team found this group gathering outside the city gates. And uh, so, so the river was most likely called the, Gang the Gangites River, which is still there today. And we're told that there were women gathered there. And we're not told that there were any men, which tells us two things. First being that the Jewish community in Philippi was too small for a synagogue because the rule was that you had to have 10 men, 10 heads of household were needed to create a synagogue. And since they didn't have 10 men, they were instead um, mandated to gather in a quiet setting on the Sabbath to recite prayers. And the second thing is the absence of men at the Sabbath gathering. Where, where, where were they? Um, were they traveling or did the Jewish population there just not care? We don't exactly know. And since, uh, since they didn't have 10 men, they also couldn't read scripture because Jewish law stated that there had to be the requirement of 10 heads of household to be present in order to read from the Torah. And you notice there that Luke says, we sat down and spoke. So all four of these men gave their testimony, but it was Paul who did most of the speaking. And the Greek word used for spoke doesn't actually mean preaching from a pulpit. It translates into having a conversation. So they sat down and they had a conversation with these women. They weren't preaching to them. And so moving on to verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the, Thidia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, uh, what was said by Paul. So starting with that first part, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. So what's, what's interesting is that it's possible that Lydia may not have actually been this woman's name. Uh, this could have been something like a title. Um, Lydia was a common name was a common Roman name, but the phrase woman, a woman named Lydia could also be interpreted as an adjective, as in the Lydian. So her name may not have been Lydia, but since Luke uses it and we don't really know what her name could have been, we'll just call her Lydia for the purposes of this study. And, and also it, it's important to note that um, Thyatira, which we'll talk about in a moment, was in an area that was known as Lydia. So we're told she's from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira was famous for colored dyes and supposedly dating as far back as the time um, when Homer wrote the Iliad, um, Thyatira wa was, was back then known for producing these wonderful dyes. And there's actually an inscription found in Thyatira for a guild that specialized in dyes and in the dyeing process. And, it, and uh, you may recognize the name Thyatira as well because it's a location of one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation that uh, Jesus instructed John to write to. And, that, and uh, Revelation was written roughly 40 years after the passages we're studying today. So next we're told that she was a seller of purple goods. So purple was in huge demand in the Roman Empire, um, especially during that time because the color purple symbolized that the wearer was of a higher class, almost like a member of royalty. And, and it was worn on the outer part of the toga. Uh, purple was the official color of the Roman Empire. And the fact that she was from Thyatira and sold purple goods tells us that she was very wealthy. Um, and that could have been where she had one home, 
where uh, the dye was made and maybe the clothes were made as well. And then she had a base of operations also in Philippi where she distributed her goods, where she sold her goods and sent those all across the Roman Empire. So, which basically tells us that she was really wealthy if she was able to afford two homes in two fairly large cities. That would be like having a home in San Francisco and then having a home in Manhattan at the same time. And she was probably wealthy enough that she really didn't have to worry about any of her own needs. And, and yet, we find her here at a river, possibly a, a river where people dump things in, with a bunch of other women praying. And we have to ask ourselves why. And the reason why is because she was a worshiper of God. She was probably not born a Jew. She was most likely a Gentile who converted to Judaism, just like Luke. And it's possible that, that there was a synagogue in Thyatira. Um, and um, that's where she heard of the one true God. And it was there where she most likely converted to Judaism. So the Greek word here for worship is uh, sebomai, which means to live a lifestyle of godliness before others. And the, the Greek word is similar to, to the Greek word that we've studied in the past, which translates into righteousness. They both mean an outward expression of an inner piety. Um, and it's, it's unknown who her companions were. Uh, she could have been holding prayers with other women who were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And while she was there, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. So let, let's consider this situation again where Lydia and the other women are gathered at the riverside and suddenly these, these four, four men show up. Three Jewish men and Luke, who was a, who was a Gentile. Um, he was actually Greek. And then after the three of them give their testimony, the man who seems to be the lead among them starts talking about something she's never heard before. He starts talking about a man named Jesus of Nazareth and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures, which these women would have been familiar with or at least have heard read before um, they found themselves here at the riverside. And he tells her that Jesus is God and that he's healed the sick and cast out demons and that he died on a cross and paid the penalty for our sins and that he rose from the dead and on the third day, on that third day he rose from the dead and now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us for all who believe in him and that he's coming back again. And she heard what Paul said and she listened to it because the words pay attention to, are ren uh, which are rendered listen in other translations, that's the Greek word proseko, which means that she turned her full attention to what Paul was saying. She listened earnestly and she listened in faith. And many hear the gospel preached, but they don't actually listen to it. They sit there whether at church or at home, our minds wander. Um, I'm actually thankful that you asked us to sort of clear our minds during, during uh, communion. And that's, that's what Lydia did when she was at the river. She cleared her mind so that she can focus on exactly what Paul was saying. And, uh, but a lot of other folks, their minds wander. I can't meet, wait to meet up with my friends. What, what am I gonna meal prep after church for the rest of the week? But Lydia listened and she kept on listening. And, and it's mentioned by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what, of, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And because Lydia listened, actively listened to what Paul was saying, 
God opened her heart. And when Luke writes that her heart was opened, a better description would be that the Spirit of God caused Lydia to have an open mind regarding the truth of Scripture. And it furthermore means that Lydia herself was willing uh, to learn and think about what she was hearing. So the Greek word open is the word dianoigo, which is the same word that was used by Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, moments before he was stoned to death when he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's also the same word used by Mark in his gospel in chapter 7, verse 31, to describe what happened when the Lord Jesus Christ opened the ears of a deaf man and restored his hearing. And there's a similar Hebrew word um, that was used by the serpent in the Garden of Eden when he says to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 that her eyes will be opened if she eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here Luke is telling us that, that this opening of a mind, of a, of a closed mind, uh, he's telling us about that mind opening to the spiritual truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and also notice that it wasn't Paul who opened Lydia's heart, it was the Lord. And we have to ask ourselves why the Lord and not Paul, because, and that was because Lydia listened to the word. She genuinely wanted to understand the spiritual truths that Paul was speaking about. And what she heard transformed her. The word of God transformed Lydia. And, it, and Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Lydia's mind was transformed that day at the river. And how much was it transformed? We're told uh, that she was baptized. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia is just like the Ethiopian eunuch who John mentioned a few months ago um, when he was teaching on baptism. Um, that's a, that's a, an account earlier in the book of Acts. And he, after, after uh, Philip explained the scripture that, that the, the eunuch was reading, immediately the eunuch got baptized. And so it, it's interesting here that the, the Greek word for baptized is baptizo. So not only does it mean an immersion in water, it also is a term or was a term that was used by the ancient Greeks to describe the dyeing of a garment. Taking that piece of clothing and immersing it in the, in the dye completely and then pulling it out and then the, the garment takes on a new color. It's been completely changed permanently just like those who are fully submerged in the waters of baptism and are now identified with Christ. And it wasn't just Lydia, but her household as well. So the mention of Lydia's household appears to indicate that the other women who were with her were most likely her, her servants or her employees. Um, there's, there's no information that we have as to whether she was married or widowed or had children. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke would not have baptized false believers um, like Simon the, the magician who we studied last month. They would have only baptized genuine believers. So these, these members of her household weren't forced. They accepted the truth of the gospel just as Lydia did. And they had their eye, the eyes of their hearts opened just as, as Lydia did. And this all happened because Lydia set an example of faith 
And through that example, she witnessed to others and they believed and their hearts were opened as well. And so Lydia tells the four men, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, so God opened Lydia's heart and Lydia opened her home to the four men. She showed hospitality to them. Lydia took her resources and dedicated them to the Lord God. And, and that's an interesting distinction because upon uh, conversation, uh, uh, convert, conversion, <laughs> upon conversion, Lydia offered them hospitality. And, and you have to wonder how much she may have trusted or not trusted men during that time because women were, were treated like second-class citizens in the ancient world. And yet Lydia trusted these men and their ministry and Lydia's own ministry came out, of, came out of her own resources. And surely her home was a safe place. The, the places of lodging during that time also doubled as brothels. So that would have been a very, very unsafe environment for, for Christian men to be in. And Lydia's home became uh, just like the church today is and should continue to be. It's a safe haven for imperfect people to worship a perfect God. And because God opened Lydia's heart, she, be, she actually becomes the first person on European soil to convert to Christianity. And her home housed the church in Philippi, which 10 years later, Paul would write the letter to Philippians to. So I'll give you four lessons to learn and then three questions we should ask ourselves. So the first lesson is, is she was, wasn't preoccupied with her occupation. So she genuinely used her wealth and starting at the point of her baptism, she used her resources for the glory of God. She clearly had an exceptional business sense and she used all of it, not for personal gain, but for the glory of God. And, and Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter two, verse 10 reminds us that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So. Like Lydia, we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for good works. And furthermore, Lydia didn't let her profession or her intellect become a stumbling block to the gospel. So she didn't have an attitude of, well, my rabbi told me this, and this is how we've always believed, so I don't believe a thing this guy Paul is saying. Or according to the elders, uh, this is our tradition, it's been handed down for generations, and the laws are laws, and I... I, I don't think I can believe what this guy Paul is saying. Uh, so whatever preconceived notions Lydia had, they were turned upside down by what Paul told her. And so she believed, and because she believed, the Philippian church, it thrived in her home. And the Philippian church is actually known for having supported Paul more than any of the other churches when he was on his missionary journeys and when he was in prison in Rome. So the next one is, she genuinely worshipped. Uh, just like in Lydia's time, we, we live in a time where worshipping the God of the Bible really sets people off, where Sunday isn't the Lord's day, it's my day, just like every day of the week is my day, where being seen in church is more important than genuinely worshipping God, where people create gods to justify their actions, and yet in spite of this, Lydia's conversation, I conversion, I don't know why I'm saying conversation, it probably, it started with a conversation which led to conversion. <laughs> Lydia's conversion led to a faith that was just not a Sunday thing. 
So you can be like many people and worship God on Sunday, but what are you doing on Monday or Tuesday or when you leave the church property? Do you actually invite Jesus into your homes when you leave church on Sunday? And is he in your home all week uh, until you come back here the following Lord's Day? And many people hear the gospel exposed on Sunday, but they don't actually listen. Uh, they love to hear, love your neighbor as yourself, but come Monday morning, they're ready to push their neighbor aside, talk down to them, step on them, show their superiority to everyone, because they only heard something on a Sunday. They never stopped to think about it, never stopped to think about their actions. It's, it's like they never actually let the Holy Spirit change them, like Lydia did. God opened Lydia's heart, and it, uh, so this is the, sorry, this is the third one. God opened Lydia's heart, not the preacher. So it's God wor God's word that moves our hearts toward the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word bids us to come towards him, but we actually have to listen to it and read it for ourselves. So preachers and teachers can only preach, and maybe some are good at, at uh, moving people with emotional appeals, but emotional appeals really don't change a person's heart for God. It only gets them in that moment, and we know that an emotional high 100% of the time will always lead to an emotional low. And God is not a feeling and God is not an emotion to be had. God is a person and God has emotions. And the teacher's job is to present the gospel clearly and allow God to do the work. It's not the preacher who leads people to Christ. It, it's not like that image of, of a, the kindergarten teacher leading all the kids down the street. Okay, let's go this way. Everyone hold hands. Let's, let's cross the street at this time. The teacher points the way, and if a person is willing, then God does the leading. So clever wording and, and fancy preaching doesn't save a person. That's all a work of God. And Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 7, and he's referring to himself here, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So the final lesson here is Lydia sought the truth. And when she found it, she embraced it fully. So th there are a lot of seekers out there. Um, finding their way to church, trying to find the truth, trying to find meaning in their lives. They, they try to find God in the church music or in the church building or in nature or through some type of experience. Or they try to read God's word but don't understand what they're reading and they give up instead of asking someone to explain the word to them and praying that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes. But when it, a person genuinely moves towards God in faith, God will open their eyes to see the truth and the majesty and the wonder of who he is. So now three things to ponder. Are you continually allowing the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the truth of God's word? So is your mind truly open to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and continually open to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because our natural tendency, and again, we get distracted by too many things, is to close our minds to a lot of things, even at times to the truth of the gospel and to set up a defensive wall against the truth of God's word because to the rest of the wor world, God's word tells them the things that they don't want to hear and so they don't listen. 
because what God is saying, it annoys them, it insults their intellect, and it calls them out. And they'd rather have a God who is kind to them. They'd rather have a God who backs off when they want to have fun, a, a God who convicts them on their own terms, a God who won't hurt their feelings or ruin their plans, a, a God who will say something to make them feel better, even if it isn't the truth. But that's not the God of the Bible. If the God of the Bible is not opening your heart today, then who or what is? Because if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to constantly open your eyes to God's word, then the world, the flesh, and the devil will gladly take that place, just like the serpent did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Second question, will you witness and minister like Lydia did? So each and every one of us is a missionary. We're, we're missionaries to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, to the people who we cross paths with. And some of us, the Lord wants us to just minister to our family. Some of us, the Lord wants us to minister to our friends and coworkers, or, or others have a leading to minister to the community. And some men, like Paul Kreitz, who was a member of this church, uh, along with, with his wife, ministered to women at a women's shelter and an orphanage in Guatemala. And that ministry, whatever form it takes, is the call of every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can only tell people the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to choose to allow God to open their hearts. But we also have to remember, and this is implied in our study passages, that God actually doesn't need our help. That we speak the word and we tell people of, of how giving the, our lives to and following the Lord Jesus Christ has changed us, how the Holy Spirit has changed us. And, and we tell them that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who hung on a cross and took God's wrath on our behalf. And that, that's all we can do. God and his power does the rest and will do the rest if the person opens their mind. So the final question are you willing to sacrifice the things of this world for the glory of God? So we really need more women like Lydia, women who are sacrificial instead of self-serving, women who support the ministry of the church, not for the praise of their peers or of the world, but for the glory of God. That's who Lydia was. And the final place we know Lydia is mentioned is in verse 40, of this chapter after Paul and Silas are released from prison and they go back to Lydia's home. And it's possible that when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, Lydia had already passed into glory because she's not mentioned at all in that letter. And as, as rich as, as Lydia was, she wasn't famous. She fades into history just, just like we all should because God deserves all of the attention and all of the glory, not Lydia, not Paul and not us. And the world has an obsession with popularity. I, today, an influencer on YouTube or TikTok or, or Twitter can actually become more popular than a Hollywood movie star where someone can make a name for themselves online. But that's not how we're meant to live because we're all living in God's story. The Bible is God's story, not ours. We're just these, these little things, like we're, we're like a little petal on a flower amongst a hundred flowers in the background of a massive painting, probably as big as the wall behind, behind me. And the only way you can actually see that is probably to go put your face right up against it. Maybe we can even use a magnifying glass as well. The 
But the Bible is God's story. We're meant to fade into the background and to do what we can to spread God's story and not ours. So will you allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind today? Will you, will you forsake yourself and allow your mind to be open more so that God can show you more spiritual truths than ever before? And will you live sacrificially as Lydia did, as the Lord Jesus Christ did when he gave up all of his glory and all of his power in heaven to walk on earth in human form? Will you be open to that? Because God reminds us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and, and eat with that person and they with me. So Jesus is, is knocking on the door of our hearts and minds and souls today. So will you unlock the door and let him push open that door and open amazing spiritual truths about who he is, about the majesty and the glory that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.